Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today we'll be talking about President Trump's huge EMP order, socialism on planet Earth, an update, and Joe Biden under siege, by whom and why. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. President Trump issued an executive order last week. It's called EMP, which stands for Electromagnetic Pulse. An EMP is a kind of attack that could occur on America, and the order President Trump issued last week truly needs to be understood in terms of its consequence, uh, the what it could be doing to save America, what the threat is if he hadn't issued it, and why the heck did it take so long for the government to act? To begin, there's a commission. There was a commission formed decades ago, a commission to assess the threat to the United States from an EMP attack. So this EMP commission studied what would happen if an enemy, and it doesn't even have to be an attack, it could be an enemy, a nuclear attack, or it could even be a natural occurrence, but an electromagnetic pulse occurring high above in the atmosphere above, the, above America, essentially knocking out our electric grid, or to be more precise, knocking out electricity availability in America. And the EMP Commission came back and nearly 20 years ago gave a report to Congress essentially saying the consequence of an EMP attack is so extreme, so dangerous, that truly if we do not act to secure our grid, to protect our country against an EMP attack, we could, if in the most devastating of circumstances, an EMP attack should occur, and again, could even be natural causes, we would, in the United States of America, if electricity were knocked out, within a year, 90% of Americans would, would die. And you might say, okay, this sounds a little too creepy, a little too scary, a little too unrealistic. So I'll explain to you what the issue is. And I should mention, by the way, the uh, gentleman who is, uh, who, was the head of the commission, uh, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, P is in Peter Pry. Um, he was the uh, the head of the commission. He gave a report. Um, he's been interviewed many times on the media, and he's essentially saying the whole thing is Americans cannot picture what would happen if we simply no longer had electricity. Some people react like, well, you know, we would go back to heck, you know, the world functioned for centuries without electricity. We'd be like the early pilgrims. We would light candles. We would, you know, grow crops. We would, I mean, the picture is somehow we would just become, you know, kind of back to the earth, go back and live like we did in America 200 years ago. The reality is in America, if there was really an EMP attack, and electricity were actually knocked out, the kinds of things we would no longer have include telephones, computers, any of any electric source of, for electricity, which then means that trucks could not run because once they ran out of gas, so they had their tank full, they can't go to a station because it requires electricity to uh, refuel the trucks. So food would begin to be scarce grocery store shelves would be empty and hospitals would not have the ability to get 
develop, uh, deliver to them medic- necessary medications and other things needed for treatment, even electricity within ho- losing electricity in hospitals, meaning things like the um, necessary equipment that functions to keep people alive. So the, this idea of a detonation of a nuclear weapon high above America, you may think, okay, so yes, it's a very scary thing, but is that really going to happen? Let me tie a list of our uh, happy enemies or our unhappy enemies uh, who have already been working on this attack on America, on this idea. These are countries hostile to America. Uh, and but by the way, one other huge thing is the high-voltage transformers high-voltage electricity transformers, which are not even produced in America any longer. They, we only, they only produce about 200 a year around the world. They're very, very, very expensive and time-consuming to produce. Those being knocked out, we can't just fix them. We'd have to replace them. Enemy countries already focus on this threat against us. Russia, Iran, North Korea, China, and others. In fact, China has already developed what they call super EMP warheads. Even ISIS talked about committing an EMP attack against America. And you know, I got to tell you folks, I know this stuff sounds like tinfoil hat, but this is part of what happened even in the gray state of Texas where I'm doing this show from. In Texas, we have our own electric grid. It's a it's unique thing, but it, it's very wonderful. In Texas, there's been one particular state legislator who has been pushing the EMP protection bill, essentially pushing to uh, make Texas's grid so it is, would be protected, so it would not, could not be destroyed in an EMP attack. They call it the Secure the Grid mission, Secure the Grid effort. It is expensive to do. It's, it's not an you know, inexpensive thing to pursue, but part of the difficulty is not just describing the problem because more and more people, especially people in legislatures, legislatures, they know the problem, but they, they ha- it's been cast with kind of a tinfoil hat uh, characterization. You know, the people, I mean, even Republicans running for state office in Texas, Senator Bob Hall being the, the, the leader in the state of Texas, State Senator Bob Hall, you know, the people behind the scenes, and not just Democrats, but, but moderate Republicans saying, well, this is kind of tinfoil hat. I mean, this is like worrying about the Martians attacking us. Come on. But it's not. It is not like that at all. One attack, one genuine attack by the many people in this world who view America as an enemy would like to at least bring us to our knees, at least make us um, insecure and, and um, destabilized. These are, the enemies are already talking about it. The one attack is all it would take. It isn't all it would take to truly, truly transform America into a third world nation with all sorts of tremendous uh, challenges. So President Trump last week after, as I say, Congress has had a report from this commission for almost 20 years saying, you know, you really better do something. Trump issued an executive order and basically his executive order says it orders uh, several departments, several agencies of the federal government to uh, engage in three steps to improve our ability to detect an incoming, not just detect an incoming attack, but detect problems around the world where perhaps an an attack is being considered, protect, protect the grid, protect the entire grid, 
serving, providing electricity to America and make recovery plans. What is it we would do? Are we, do we have every plan in place we could? So I wanted to mention this EMP thing because President Trump issued the executive order last week. He ordered that all the relevant agencies would have a part in it, get together, come up with a plan, again, to detect, protect, and recover but the last shot on this first five today is this. This has been an issue that, as I say, people are aware of in Texas. It's an issue in Congress they've been aware of for almost 20 years. But this is an issue where everyone fretted, you know, wring their hands, get concerned. That sounds awful. I remember going to a program, I don't even know what it was, 15 years ago here in Texas, where this was presented by a pr very prominent national think tank. You know, this is a problem. We need to do something about this. And even people at that conference like, well, come on, that's not really going to happen. But it's the kind of thing. It happens once. And everything changes. America would be truly set back, to say the least, potentially even completely destroyed. And I want to just commend President Trump for instead of engaging in the uh, or going along with the crowd that just wrings their hands or going along with the people who say, I don't want to take action. I don't want to be the one to step out and really push this because the tinfoil hat, I, I don't want that tinfoil hat label on me. I don't want people saying that about me. He saw a problem. He listened to the experts. He had the experts explain the severity of the danger to America. And he decided to do an executive order to actually act. Hats off to President Trump on the EMP order. Next up today on America Can We Talk, I want to talk to you about socialism, but I want to talk about it in a little different way than I have, than probably a lot of people are, and a little different way than even I have been on this show. There was a poll done recently, uh, a very large national poll done by a group, the McLaughlin and Associates Group, funded at least in part by a group called United in Purpose. It was a massive poll, a uh, breakdown of Americans who are voters uh, by uh, voting age, uh, by age, uh, region of the country they live, uh, political per persuasion, um, race, ethnicity, all sorts of background questions, all trying to get at what do Americans think about socialism? What is their view of what socialism could or would do in this country? Because we, here we are in 2019, we have one of the primary candidates on the American left running for president yet again, Bernie Sanders, running openly as a Democrat socialist. And I, I'm going to hit some other points by him, but there was a number, and I don't have it in front of me. Maybe someone can text me, but... Um, Bernie Sanders just had a record-breaking fundraising time. In fact, um, if someone wants to text me who's listening, that'd be great and tell me what it was. But Sanders raised a fortune um, running openly as a Democrat socialist, obviously among the most popular Democrats in the entire Washington, D.C. establishment is uh, another Democrat socialist, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So socialism is becoming kind of cool. I want to share a bit of these poll results, but then tell you how we have to be talking about it. Because I'll give you a little tip. We cannot keep arguing that we're against socialism in this country just by saying, look at Venezuela. I mean, we should look at Venezuela. We should be pointing out to Americans of every background, what in the world do you think? What is it? Why is it you think America could do it better than the... Um, 
than than uh, Venezuela did. Why is it Venezuela has because of socialism and they're not communists there, they're just socialists. But in Venezuela, we have the uh, you know starvation in the streets. We have massive uh, civil unrest. We have uh, the average Venezuela uh, Venezuelan lost 20 pounds last year because of starving to death. And so this is a, I mean, Venezuela is such a screaming example of what happens when a country embraces socialism. But so far, this has not seemed to impress young Americans. It has not seemed to impress young voters. In fact, I'm gonna share the data, but I want to quick just play. I think I have Matt, uh, my very wonderful producer here. I believe he has a clip from President Trump. I wanna play that great clip that was from the State of the Union when Trump addressed socialism. Two weeks ago, the United States officially recognized the legitimate government of Venezuela and its new president, Juan Guaido. We stand with the Venezuelan people in their noble quest for freedom, and we condemn the brutality of the Maduro regime whose socialist policies have turned that nation from being the wealthiest in South America into a state of abject poverty and despair. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. You know what? I, I cut that clip too short, and I'm sorry. But the audience, the, which obviously President Trump is the State of the Union, he's speaking in front of Congress. I mean, they were on their feet clapping. You saw the embarrassed expression, the, or just angry expression on Senator Bernie Sanders' face. But... The reason I really want to dive into this today is because we have to have a big conversation in this country, not just the pundits, not just talk show hosts, not just politicians, but everyday families, everyday Americans. We need to be having this conversation with our children, with our neighbors, with our friends down the street, whoever it is we're talking to, to get real about socialism. I love that President Trump said that he laid down the gauntlet, we're not a socialist country, But I want to tell you how much headway socialism has made in America. First, the McLaughlin poll. Just tell you some brief numbers, enough to keep you awake at night. This is how thick, by the way, that I printed out their entire survey. Um, And so I'm not going to read it out loud, I promise. It's very lengthy and detailed. But I'll just give you a a couple uh, amazing things. For example, between people in America, between the ages of 18 and 29, Over one-third of them think that socialism brings greater economic prosperity. 
36.4% greater economic prosper prosperity. Also, this age group, 18 to 29, 28% of them, over 28, think that socialism is better for the people. They actually think this. And so the, the data here, in fact, the uh, data on women, by the way, women out there who I hope you're listening and thinking about this, but women are another astonishing group of Americans who have been duped by the arguments about socialism. So, for example, um, in America, 33% of Democrat women say socialism, socialism brings greater economic prosperity. I mean, this is the, the system, socialism, that's never worked anywhere on the planet. And yet you have women, young people especially, uh, I mean, I, I could go through all the data, but the point is way, way, way too many Americans think that socialism is somehow a panacea that is going to solve um, a lot of our problems. In fact, I want to read you, there was a, one guy had a great tweet about it. 31% overall in this big McLaughlin poll, 31% of Americans say socialism is fairer than free market capitalism. They think socialism is fairer. And this is the argument, my friends, we have to dive into as people who love this country, people who love freedom, we must be ready to take on the arguments of socialism. So those are my kind of the overarching point, socialism, People in America are duped. They've been lied to. They've been lied to about socialism by their college professors, by the uh, liberal American left who's selling it somehow as everybody can have everything for free and it'll just be the coolest thing ever. And plus everyone's going to have you know, free college education and whatever else they, all, all sorts of things they think they can just have for free and nothing bad will happen. There's also a great piece, I think it's up on my website, americancanbetalk.org, uh, on the homepage under shows, under lists of links, there's a great piece written by a man who happens to be a world-renowned economist, um, and he's actually a family friend of all uh, lucky for us. Uh, his name is Dr. Steve Payovich. He wrote a book, he wrote an article in uh, American Greatness called The Cost of Democratic Socialism. And it's a really good piece kind of distilling down, you know, what uh, what democratic socialism is, what it tells people it is, um, and then what it really is. But he makes the point that everyone knows we should hate communism. I mean, pretty much in America, we know we don't like communism. But again, communism is just socialism with no way out, where your political alternatives have been eliminated. Uh, and then there's national socialism, fascism. But he's making the point, Pavich is making the point that the what today's uh, liberals say, what liberal, I, I only like to use the word liberals, what today's socialists in America say, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all their ilk, is that this is Democrat socialism, meaning, of course, that we're going to put this into power through our, our democratic process. We're going to have elections. And so if you don't like it, you can vote it out. No worries. You, know, you just move, move along. If you don't like it anymore, you can, you can just uh, stop. Um, you know, we, can, we can reverse course. The problem with that is that you can't really reverse course the further you get down the path towards socialism. It's not like there's a, a solid line and then this side is socialism and this side is freedom. The fact is socialism is on a continuum. And the more socialist policies you put in place in a country, the more dependent the people in your that country become. The more 
uh, they assume that everything shall be provided for free. This is what happens. So when I said earlier, when we want to talk to young people, and they're not just young people, they might be uh, you know, people of any age in this country who think socialism is somehow a panacea, we have to be able to say more than just, what about Cuba? You know, what about China? What about Venezuela? We have to be able to talk about the examples that the college professors, that the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth, Elizabeth uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are holding up. The examples they give of countries are saying, well, these, these are nice, free countries. Everything's fine there. They just, everybody, it's fair. Everybody has all they need because of Democrat socialism. We have to be able to talk about those things. Now, we'll tell you that, you know, the world, for, for decades, the world could see that communism and socialism brought misery and poverty. And for, for the most part in America, most Americans knew that socialism is evil, that it is, it is the opposite of freedom. That's what we used to call it, the, the, you know, the communist countries, Russia and their sphere, and the Western world, which was the free world, because socialism is like a form of slavery. It's just, it's the absence of freedom. But too many people don't know that. They've been duped by their college professors and others and the Bernie Sanders of the world talking people into thinking socialism is about sharing. But let me make my first point. One, if people really understood what socialism would do to them, they wouldn't vote for it. The way the American left has been able to push socialism because they can't point to great successes everywhere else and they can't really complain about the economic success of freedom. So what the left focuses on instead is income inequality. They focus on a problem, they fixate on income inequality, and then make the argument, well, now that every, all of us in America can agree that income inequality is so horrible, you know, then give us the power to fix it. So that is the, that is the hook by which they get young people thinking, you gotta give the government more power to redistribute wealth, to fix income inequality. So I'm gonna start with just a couple of uh, numerous points I wanna have us just all get clear on. Number one, there is overwhelming economic evidence, like facts, things that, you know, not just theories, facts that show that when countries when governments turn to a harsher and harsher form of socialism, when they turn toward communism, productivity goes down. People actually don't want to work as hard when they're not working freely. They don't want to work as hard when they're not going to get the rewards of their labor. This should be as obvious as two plus two is four, but it's true. Some interesting data I came across recently. So in China, you probably know Mao was, did his great, he called it the Great Leap Forward, which is the most horrific years in China's history. But in, under uh, Chairman Mao of Communist Party in Russia, he went the Great Leap Forward this from 1958 to 1962. In that time period, he imposed mass collectivization of agriculture that provided no wages or cash rewards for effort on farms. Basically, you had the food you needed, they were provided by the government, and you had to work, you were assigned where to work, told where to work. When that happened, it is just human nature. People sent off to a collective, forced to work on a farm they didn't choose, productivity went down. The per capita output of grain in China fell by 21% 
between 1957 and 1962. For aquatic products, the drop was 31%, and for cotton, edible oil, and meat, the drop in productivity in the four years under Chairman Mao's forced mass collectivization, the drop in productivity was 55%. With that, is, that shouldn't even really be surprising, but it matters to understand these things. People don't want to work if they know they're not going to be rewarded whether they work hard or they work not at all, as long as they work enough to avoid being arrested or beaten, they're not going to work hard. People work to achieve, to be paid, to be rewarded for their labors. So there's flat out overwhelming evidence in China just from that one experience of Chairman Mao that, the, that productivity drops when the government forces collectivization and the government severs a connection between hard work and reward. Also at that time, in, in a horrific instance of just suffering in world history, in the Great Chinese Famine, 1959 to 1961, do you know how many people it's estimated starved to death in China because of collectiv collectivization at farming? 45 million people. So, number one, forced labor, collectivization, not severing the connection between hard work and reward makes people not work. Number two, and this point comes from Steve Payovich, this great article I mentioned a moment ago. Once you begin giving the government more power to redistribute wealth, the cycle is set in place. What happens? So, the government's now got power to decide. You know, who gets how much money? And this is what, do, do, not, do not miss this point. This is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders are asking for. They are saying that the, they should have the power sitting in their uh, offices in Washington to decide how much money every person should be allowed to have, how much money should be taken away because they decide you have too much, how much should be redistributed through their, through their um, processes. So here's Payevich's point. One, Redistribute. I don't even think this is really a word. Redistributional policies call for more administrative programs. You have to have programs in Washington to to implement the new things you've created because you're taking money away from people and deciding who gets what. Someone's got to sit there and decide how much you're allowed to keep and who gets what. These programs require more bureaucrats and bigger budgets. More bureaucrats, bigger budgets increases the role of the government in the economy. More government in the economy increases the transfer of resources from competitive economic markets to political markets. So the entire massive American economy, you're shifting what should be the norm in a free market country, in a free and entrepreneurial based country, in a freedom based country. You're shifting all of that activity that should be happening in the private sector and money is shifted to the government, which then of course perpetually feeds on itself and grows itself. More decisions made in Washington mean more bureaucracies necessary, mean more taxes have to be collected to pay all these bureaucrats, I mean there's less money in the free market to create businesses and create jobs. These things must be understood as behind the scenes truths about socialism. But I'm going to turn to the examples we should be sharing with our friends uh, who think that socialism is such a great thing. In France, I don't even play these tapes anymore in this show, but it, you know, we talked last year, I think it was, when the yellow vest protest started. People in the streets in France 
They, they were caught the yellow vest protest has come with all the uh, protesters wore, I guess, to identify themselves to each other. But there, were, there was a video just yesterday uh, in Paris, some police officer beating the daylights out of some guy who was one of the yellow vest protesters. I don't know if many Americans know why in France these people are in the streets in Paris protesting. They are protesting socialism or to be more precise, they are protesting the inevitable outcome of socialism. In France, the government kept selling the idea that somehow you can work less, get paid the same, have same productivity, free health care, free schooling, subsidies, all of those things France told people. And, you know, of course, we have to raise taxes a little bit to give you all these free things, but everybody who voted for this garbage in France thought it's gonna be the rich people paying that. The same argument Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez make in America. Don't worry, college students, don't worry, young people. We're just gonna take away rich people's money. But it never is enough. This is the lesson of France. Those people, those yellow vest protesters in France, they are on the streets because they don't like the taxes they're now being forced to pay. Not rich people. These are your common Joe. This is your common, hardworking man or woman in France who just wants to get to keep the, the, the value of what they do in their work. They want, to, they want to keep their pay. They don't want to be having the, so much of their money taken away by the federal government in France. But to provide all these freebies costs money. No socialist system has ever succeeded in providing free health care, free education, free housing, free food, free you know, parental care, free child care, free parental. You can't provide those things without raising tax money. And there aren't enough rich people in the world or in any country to provide for that. Ultimately, the average everyday Joe pays those taxes. And that's why the people in France are on the streets. Here's some quick stats for you. The Organization for Economic Cooperation, part of the UN, OECD, released its annual report. France topped the charts with a tax, the average tax in France for all the people there, 46.2% of their GDP. The people, there's practically no point in working because the government takes away your money. And again, it's not the rich people. It's the average, hardworking, good family man, family woman, good individual, money taken away. In France, that is larger. The percent of amount, amount paid in taxes as compared to GDP, bigger in France than it, is in, than it is in Denmark, Sweden, or Germany. Okay. And France also doesn't collect taxes in the way we think of it, like the April 15th coming up. you got to pay your taxes in America. They do it in all sorts of, um, beside they have heavy income tax on the rich, they rely on uh, taxes on social insurance, payroll, property taxes. Social taxes account for 37% of the French revenue. I get this point to say, when you talk to people in America about why we don't want socialism, you gotta attack things like France. Next example, uh, and, and by the way, the payroll tax is a very regressive tax, meaning it hurts poor people more than it hurts rich people. Europe also has a very regressive consumption tax, the value-added tax, um, which it, they, consumption tax makes up 24% of France's uh, revenue. So the point is, in France, 
you had this kind of politicians who are represented today by in America by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders who are trying to sell you the garbage, the lie, the hogwash that they can give you everything for free and life will be just painless. It'll be just fine. You won't feel a thing. All you'll have is a better life. We have to help people understand that compulsory and oppressive taxation is part and parcel of socialism. It comes with it. It also is important to help people understand government planners end up taking over the economy instead of free people deciding everything. Choices go down, production goes down, freedom goes down. Two other quick examples on this. You know, we had uh, Denmark is always held up by Bernie Sanders. In fact, Bernie Sanders has this most idiotic statement he made when he was running in 2016 about, you know, I I met a guy. uh, I talked to a guy from Denmark. There's a good bit of economic analysis. I talked to a guy from Denmark who told him in Denmark it's very, very hard to become rich. It's very, very hard to become poor. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Sanders blathered on so much in 2016 about wanting to have Democrat socialism like Denmark does that actually the Danish prime minister, Lars Locke Rasmussen, speaking at Harvard's School of Government, said he was aware that, and this is the, uh, the uh, prime minister, Lars Rasmussen, making reference to Bernie Sanders, some people of the U.S., associate the Nordic model with some sort of socialism. So I would like to make one thing clear. Denmark is far from a socialist planned economy. Denmark is a market economy. And so this is the uh, the, the Danish, the Denmark prime minister getting back at, at Bernie Sanders saying, stop lying about us. We're not socialists like you're claiming we are. In fact, Denmark has had to backpedal over their big government programs, discovering the reality of human nature and the, and the unchangeable laws of economics that if you provide free things for people, they won't work as hard. It costs money to provide them. You've got to take that money from somebody. You end up destroying the economy. Sweden's doing the same thing. Sweden is on the track doing the same thing, saying, as a matter of fact, they are backpedaling, getting rid of socialist programs because they don't work. In sum, socialism doesn't work. Last thing on this point, I want to have my very wonderful producer, Matt, to put a chart up. I believe we have this chart available, which is to show where our spending already is in America. What we do, and and actually you can make it full screen so we we can see it well, but here's the deal. You might think that America, America is a free market economy. But as I said, it's always a continuum. It's always a, it's not, it's a spectrum. It's not you know one at the end, one and then the other end. And in America, we are already significantly down the path of socialism. I want you to see what this chart is showing you. In our country, of the tax revenue we give the government, we pay to the government. We don't give it; they take it. But the federal government collects. Only 15% goes for defense and security. Uh, 24% goes for social security, which is not a giveaway, but it is an unfunded liability. People collecting from social security today are going to take out more than they paid in. Social security is going to be broke by whatever the current estimate is, 2030 or something. It's around the corner. This is pure socialism. It's redistributing the government, redistributing money to people more than they paid in, so it's other people's money is redistributing. Look at the the wad for the the uh, the uh, collection for 26 percent for Medicare, Medicaid, CHP, marketplace subsidies. This is again 
America already down the path of socialism. Safety net programs, 9%. So I'm getting on this to say that when we talk about what we should, our direction to go in 2020, we're going to have the left. They've got several very leftist candidates running for president, very leftist type folks who are determined to bring what they think is the, the, you know, the panacea, the, you know, just the dream come true for everyone of Democrat socialism. We have to be ready in our conversations in this country to talk about it's not only that Venezuela, Venezuelans are suffering and dying. It's not only that, that and by the way, one other point about socialism, if it is so great, why is it only socialist countries have to forbid people to leave? Why is it, it was East Germany that made the law, if you try to leave East Germany, communist East Germany, Germany to go to free West Germany will shoot you and kill you. It's only socialist and communist countries that forbid you to leave. If socialism created the utopia that Sanders and others try to claim it does, no one would, be, would have to be threatened with death for trying to leave. So we are in America, already way too far down the path of creating dependency, creating people relying on government, expanding the government's role in just redistributing wealth, we need to have a major rebuke from the voters of America in 2020, rejecting socialism, rejecting the American left's ideas, and, and reasserting our understanding, our respect for, our, our agreement, our, under, our recognition that free markets, entrepreneurship, capitalism have produced the most prosperity, the most abundance, even for the poorest among us, and there is no exception to that reality. We need to push back on socialism with facts, figures, and a fiery discussion. And the last thing for today, I want to turn today and talk in the last few minutes of this show about one of the presidential candidates. Uh, I did a, a pretty big rundown on Beto O'Rourke, but he might have to... I might have to talk about him again. But I want to just close out today. We, you know, we were talking about um, the... Uh, socialism and is it has kind of the, the american democrat party the the left in america the democrat party is in the grip of socialist i mean of socialism in the grip of socialists you have not just bernie sanders and alexandria ocasio cortez but you have elizabeth warren the senator from massachusetts who's running for president she is you know she is a you know a, a centimeter away she claims she's not really socialist she's pretty much there you don't get to say that you, by the way, you don't get to say you're not a socialist, but you do support uh, a, a tax on just net worth. And you do support forcing corporations to spend money the way the government tells them to spend it. That is socialist. That is a government-controlled society. That is a government-controlled economy. She doesn't get to say that, but she tries to. The point is the American left is full of people in this country who either admit they're socialists or they are pushing for policies that are socialist, but still trying to say, no, 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 I, I'm an American, I'm into free markets, yeah, we're, we're a free market country. But they're pushing policies that will destroy the free markets, and that is where the American left lives. And now I want to talk about, uh, in, <laughs> related to all of this, the candidate who has not yet declared, but is getting most a lot of attention in the media, and that is Joe Biden. Joe Biden, by the way, was... Um, See, uh, Joe Biden is 77 years old. I, I text someone to ask him right before the show started. How old is he? He's 77 years old. Joe Biden was, as you well know, the vice president under Obama. 
And uh, Biden has been around in Washington a long time. I say 77. You know, he's a, um, you know, a, to many Democrats who think they want to be Democrat, but they don't want to be socialist. He's he's someone that they can warm up to. They can think maybe the Democrat Party is kind of headed toward the cliff of socialism, but Biden can pull him back. Biden is maybe a little more sane than Bernie Sanders, a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more America loving, a little bit more free market guy. I'm not sure I give Biden even credit for all of what I just said, but I think he's perceived that way. And the New York Times reported again, I think it was just yesterday, that in all the internal polling they are doing, Biden is the top is the top vote getter among likely Democrat voters polled of who you'd like to see run for president in 2020, who you'd support. So Biden has a lot of support among Democrat voters. And I think it is in part because he's seen as, you know, a bit of an elder statesman. He's been around a while. Um, He is not crazy, like at least like Bernie Sanders. He's not pushing Democrat socialism. But Biden, you know, is still tiptoeing around, hasn't declared. But there are just sharks in the water around him. And I want to talk about why. I want to talk about sharks in the water around him and then what his real problem is. The sharks in the water around him are the people who are propping up stories, publishing stories about women complaining about him being um, Uncle Joe creepy, you know, the creepy Joe Biden. I mean, then there are, you've all seen them just, you know, people do montages of pictures of how many times Joe Biden is standing at some ceremony, cameras on the whole lineup, and he's right by some young girl or right by some woman, hands on her shoulders, you know, nuzzle, see, look, he's nuzzling in, nuzzling his face in their hair. I mean, he's just a... He doesn't have a sense of personal space. That was his statement today, uh, that he needs to improve his sense of personal space. You know, he's been, you know, the, the creepy Uncle Joe was the name a lot of people gave him. He's just too familiar in the way he is around women. There is no allegation I'm aware of that he's ever been disloyal. I don't, I don't think he's considered to be actually a, you know, having engaged in adultery. I think he's he's happily married, far as everyone knows, and his wife supports him, and she's lovely and smart and educated and all that. So, you know, Biden has the creepiness thing, which in other eras might not have mattered. But now the Democrat Party is trying to just be the party of Me Too, be the party of every woman's a victim. So now I think it's up to 12 women who've now said that he got too close, uh, or at least 12 people that are either they've complained or the pictures show the way he behaved, where he just he's just too familiar. I think actually it's a little bit funny because I don't think Biden is actually, um, you know, I don't think he's engaging in sexual assault or anything truly actionable. I just think he's a, one of those guys, and you all know guys like that, too familiar, don't like it very much. He's like that. Wouldn't it matter in other eras? Matters now. The Me Too people are out to get him. And so they are pushing these scenarios. He's inappropriate. He's done. I will say, you know, it is the Me Too era that he participated in. I mean, he, Biden, not, he participated by conversations, by statements, by denouncements of, you know, all these other people who were engaged, uh, accused of some kind of wrongdoing in the Me Too world of things. So, you know, he's a little bit getting a comeuppance of his own conduct and frankly, of his own party. His, his, the, the American left has gone over the deep end on this Me Too stuff for reasons we've talked about other times. So that's his first problem. He's got a Me Too problem, and that's just not going to be not going to bode well for him. 
But on the other hand, he's one of the Democrats who's clearly not a socialist yet. And so he he a lot of people in the party are concerned um, that they can't have a candidate as far left as Bernie Sanders, even if he can win the primary, because he can't win the general. And so they want someone more palatable to America, the, the, you know, the Biden type. We also have a faction of the Democrat Party wound up and determined that there needs to be you know, they're, they're so into hyphenated America that Biden flunks the he's an old white guy and that Democrat Party wants to be the party of a hyphenated America, a women or, or a minority of some uh, of some ilk to prove that they are the party that relates to minorities. So, you know, the, the there's a faction of the Democrat voting base, a primary base that was not going to go for someone unless they are some hyphenated America type person, at least a woman and maybe even a woman who's a minority. There's also a lot of rumors around Washington about Biden having really, despite having served under President Obama for two terms, that uh, Obama and especially Mrs. Obama are not particularly fond of Biden. They don't want him to be the candidate and they're, they're behind this kind of pushing rumors about him trying to push him out. He hasn't even declared yet, but I'm going to tell you the real reason he should never be president, which has nothing to do with everything I just said. Back in 2018, Joe Biden gave a speech at the Council on Foreign Relations. This is in 2018, so he's no longer president. He's no longer vice president. And he is, um, but he's giving a speech and he's recounting an experience that happened to him that he was involved in, uh, involving the Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko. And it's really funny if you can pull this clip up because he's told the story other times. He tells it, Biden tells it with a little bit of that kind of, you know, shoot out the OK Corral kind of attitude, where he's basically saying he arm twisted Poroshenko in March of 2016 to fire the former, um, to, to fire prosecutor General Victor Shokin. He wanted the, he was telling the Ukrainian guy, essentially, if you don't fire the Ukrainian president, if you don't fire Shokin, then uh, we um, are going to pull some um, aid to, to the Ukraine. So here he is stuck with, um, it, it, so he did that. And as a matter of fact, the uh, Ukrainian president, Poroshenko, did fire this prosecutor. Well, it turns out now that the person who's re, who uh, was replaced and was viewed at the time to be someone, you know, Biden called him solid, the guy, this guy Lutsenko, who took the place of this former prosecutor, is, wants to talk wants to talk to our U.S. attorney, Barr, about the fact that Biden was pushing to get this other prosecutor fired because that prosecutor was looking into some corruption charges involving a Ukrainian group and an American entity. And that American entity, who is apparently being investigated for possible corruption, by this Ukrainian prosecutor had Joe Biden's son as a paid member of the board, Hunter Biden. So this guy is saying this, I mean, in the commentaries, this is, this is going to be uh, Biden's undoing because he apparently took that tough guy stance with, um, with the Ukraine all really because he was all about the idea that he was protecting his own son, this corruption investigation, which the new investigator is saying, you know, there, there was actually something to that. We need to look into it further. There was something there. We didn't get it all figured out. So uh, that may be Biden's undoing. And that, my friends, is my update on Biden. And last thing, in the next last three minutes of the show today, 
I have, I want to wrap up our show by kind of telling you why these stories we talked about today, why they matter to you. And I don't know if you can, you can bring that full screen. I'm just going to tell you very quickly why these stories matter to you. President Trump's bravery in issuing an executive order on the EMP may ultimately prove to be something that saved, truly saved America, saved the lives of every American. This is what happens when a grown-up is in charge in Washington, not people afraid to be called tin hat people, not people afraid to be mocked, someone who stands up because you need to dig in. If I didn't scare you enough, you need to dig in and understand what experts tell you an EMP attack would do. The attack will be unthinkable. The failure to act when we've had this information for almost 20 years, inexcusable. Thank you on the EMP. Thank you, President Trump. Final one, why it matters to you is this whole thing about socialism. People, we have to be using words like this, talking to our friends. America has been lied to by the left about socialism. It is time for truth-telling, not just Venezuela, not just Cuba. Talk about Denmark, talk about Sweden, talk about countries where this friendly Democrat socialism thing didn't work out so well. And the last thing is two points of why this matters so much is this. Socialism and big government leftism are kissing cousins. The, the left works to create dependency on government because it perpetuates their power. Everybody reliant on programs the left creates. The, 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 the dependency-inducing programs of all kinds, government assistance programs, the left is cultivating a, ferment, a permanent Democrat voting base. They'll always come back and vote to get what they want from government. It's even worse under socialism. And the last thing about socialism, it destroys the entrepreneurial spirit that built America. It will matter greatly to us if we lose the can-do, self-reliant, upbeat American spirit that made America great. I'm Debbie Georgettis. This is America Can We Talk. Every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m., I am here to talk to you. Please like my Facebook page. Please share these posts. Please comment if you'd like to on Facebook, please on YouTube. Please subscribe. And remember every day and every t opportunity you have to speak up for America because America matters. Can we talk truth about America?